Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 5 Baz had a lot of time to regret his decision to trip that cityless on the walk back to Torchsire Library with Deliritus and Rox. They'd left Delida behind in Liana's care. She'd escort Delida back to the library once she'd collected herself. What happened once she got there, that was another story. Deliritus kept rubbing at his cheek where Delida had slapped him. Deliritus wasn't one to go meeting out severe punishments to his speakers. Baz ought to know, as some readers would have killed him for things he'd said that Deliritus had just laughed off. Being struck by one's property was another book entirely, though. Even Baz had never hit Deliritus, despite the number of times he'd thought of doing so. Still, given the circumstances, namely, Delida having just been viciously attacked and, more to the point, Deliritus's extreme insensitivity, Likely nothing serious would have come of Delida's slip in decorum. But she'd not only hit Deliritus, but done so in front of representatives of all erstwhile's libraries, which meant the Duke was sure to hear of it. And the Duke was not nearly as milquetoast as his son when it came to discipline. Ordinarily, Deliritus couldn't be expected to stay quiet even under the most serious of circumstances, say, when the conservator's lead torturer is questioning a public enemy. But even he maintained a brooding silence as they marched up the cobble road toward the library, not even a simple, hey, thanks for saving my life, Bastion, or even a lame wisecrack about how that knife had nearly given him a new ear piercing. Perhaps outright gratitude was more than Baz could expect, but a joke at least would have been an acknowledgement that, if Baz wasn't a slave, he would have been deserving of thanks. Even Rox had given Baz a nod and a grunt that might have been interpreted by some as gratitude, though not even a slave should be desperate enough to believe a harbor is showing him any sort of humanity. Baz knew all too well that Rox would crush his skull at a word from Deliritus. Blissfully, Torchsire Library wasn't that far from Xavier Library, particularly when no one tried to drop any doors on you, and they arrived before Baz's brooding could drive him completely insane. The building was certainly nicer than any in which ordinary citizens lived, but as far as erstwhile's libraries went, it was rather ordinary. A set of wide stone steps led up to the main entrance, which was flanked by a column to either side, each of which had a single angled flagpole about halfway up its length displaying wine-colored banners bearing the torchsire sigil, crossed torches with a book between them. A single guard stood at the entrance, head leaning back against the wall, not paying particular attention to anything. The library had a second story with windows of ordinary glass and a gabled roof, but no towers, as was popular amongst many of the other libraries. None would ever admit it, but it was clear to Baz those others were just imitating Xavier Library, so in that regard he figured Torchsire was coming out ahead. Though, 
Whether it was a purposeful act of architectural rebellion on the Duke's part, or a mere lack of funds that kept Torchsire from going with the trend, Baz wasn't certain. The guard at the door perked up in a hurry when he saw Deliritus approaching, giving him a stiff salute. Master Deliritus, the Duke left word for me to send you straight to the receiving room when you arrived. <sighs> Deliritus sighed. Yes, yes, I shouldn't be surprised that Father's already heard what happened. We'd best get on with it, Rox. Won't be any better if we keep him waiting. Truth, Rox agreed with a rumble. You'd better come too, Bastion. No telling who Father might be entertaining today. He'll want me to keep up appearances. Baz glowered, but didn't object. Of course, Deliritus only wanted him there to look good in front of his father. Never mind that Baz had just saved the library's heir from a gruesome demise. The receiving room was at the back of the library. A silly tactic. Scribes forbid if the Duke had to walk to see a guest in his own home. No, the guests had to come to him. It was particularly petty since it took all of 15 seconds to walk across the modestly sized Torchshire Library to reach the room. If this were Xavier Library, they'd have had to walk up seven flights and stop for oxygen three times before reaching their destination. The room was longer than it was wide, with more Torchshire banners hanging on the walls, along with a few bookcases that held ordinary books. Not even Xavier had enough spoken books that they could afford to use them as decorations for a receiving room. A burgundy carpet fringed in gold to match the torchsire banners led down the room's center and terminated at a raised platform upon which sat a single chair with a back that would have towered over even rocks had he sat in it. In that chair sat Duke Octavinal Torchsire, third of his name. His red silk jacket likely would have gone a long way to paying for that tower his library was lacking, and the calf-high cordovan boots would be worth at least a few bricks as well. His hands were folded in his lap, though even the dark leather gloves that covered them couldn't entirely conceal their deformity. Two of the duke's speakers were chained to an iron loop on the wall behind the chair. They wore dark robes similar to Baz's, one with the dragon patch marking her a destroyer, the other with the Enigma's scales stitched over one breast, marking him an influencer. They each had a strip of cloth tied around their heads where their eyes would have been. Baz did his best not to look at them. Some readers thought the best way to eliminate the possibility of a speaker learning to read was simply to prevent them from ever being able to see the words. Beside the Duke's chair stood a short, bald man. He wore the same leather mask as rocks over his nose and mouth, and his biceps made boulders seem like soft things. His razor was extended and resting on his shoulder. Dark eyes tracked their movements as they entered. Aside from the Duke and his harbor and speakers, there were six others in the room, divided into two trios. The Duke was observing the duel from beneath his receding hairline with what seemed minimal interest. It was a staged match, which meant the harbors were using blunted weapons and the readers only using books that carried a low risk of injury. The contestants were Deliritus' aunt Trivenal and uncle Salister. They stood on opposite sides of the receiving room, rapiers in hand and mobile lecterns extended, each holding a book. Trivenal was employing a creator, while Salister was using a destroyer, and each had their harbor, of course. Neither was anywhere close to the size of rocks, but they were still huge, muscle-bound men wearing the leather masks of their trade. The teams were arrayed in what Baz knew from watching many a match, 
Deliritus never permitted him to participate in one, as a standard formation, with each reader and speaker hanging back while the harbors pounded on one another out in the room's center. Rules were straightforward. First team to score three touches of any kind on the other's reader, whether with fist, weapon, or spell, was the victor. Baz had always thought the simplest tactic would be to have your speaker rush the other reader while he was looking down at his or her book, but of course that was forbidden. A speaker wasn't permitted to lay hands on a reader even in duels. The round had just started, harbors still approaching each other warily, readers just beginning to utter their first spells. Salastair's destroyer struck first, tiny bolts of lightning crackling over Trivenal's head. At nearly the same moment, though, Trivenal's speaker finished repeating the words Trivenal had read aloud, and a blinding aura enveloped the reader, deflecting the lightning. This volley repeated several times, Salastair alternating between trying to hit Trivenal directly and aiming for her speaker. Each time, Trivenal's creator was successful in blocking the bolts with the shield of blinding light. After the fifth lightning attack, and with the harbors still locked in a duel at the room's center, Trivenal changed tactics. She whispered a few hurried words into her speaker's ear, then released the straps on her mobile lectern, permitting it to fall to the floor, book and all. Salastair blinked in surprise as Trivenal began to rush toward him. With a curse, he flipped to a different page in his book. But before he could speak, he cried out as a bright light flashed right in front of his eyes. He flailed about, temporarily blinded. Salastair's harbor disengaged from Trivenal's and attempted to intercept her, but an identical light flashed in his face. The harbor kept his poise much better than his speaker, but still stumbled a step, and his weapon swung wide of Trivenal as she bobbed to one side. A moment later, she planted her rapier into Salastair's chest. Point, said the duke with little enthusiasm. That's three for Trivenal. Match to her. Salastair glowered at his sister. You let your speaker cast from memory? She shrugged, giving him a sly smile. Come now, brother. You've never permitted your speaker to memorize a simple spell or two? Lighting a candle? Soothing a headache? There's no lasting harm she could cause with that bright light, and she knows my harbor would have her head off in a moment if she even has a dream of doing me ill. Bah! Salister waved a hand at Trivenal. It's dangerous and you know it. If I ever caught mine speaking on his own, it'd be the whipping post for him. That sort of narrow-mindedness is why you just lost, Trivenal said, her smile expanding. That's enough! the duke said. I have other matters to attend to now. Out. Both Salastair and Trivenal glowered at that, giving curt bows in the duke's direction before exiting the receiving room. Each nodded to Deliritus as they passed by, but there was no warmth in the gestures. Deliritus either didn't notice or didn't care, as he bowed low to them in return. Baz waved to their speakers, but neither so much as looked at him. Not surprising. Ever since word had gotten out about what had happened to Tax, and more importantly, why it had happened to him, none of the speakers liked to associate with him. "'You two wait here,' Deliritus said after the room had emptied. He gulped visibly, then made his way down the carpet to his father. Rox didn't move an inch, just staring after Deliritus. Baz sighed, wishing to go lean against the wall, but knowing that would never do in the Duke's presence." He settled for slouching in place. Father, Deliritus began as he stopped at the dais, 
perhaps you've heard about, about the mockery of our library that you permitted your bed warmer to perpetrate? Oh yes, I heard. Deliritus flinched as if he found the words just as painful as Delida's earlier slap. Well, she had some reason to... Property never has reason to subvert its owner, Deliritus. You're softer than a pigskin and too often only marginally smarter. It'll be twenty lashes for her. I've already scheduled it for tomorrow. But father, the trials. We leave in just two days. You ought to have considered that before you led her to believe that such insolence could go unpunished. I warned you over getting too familiar with your slaves, Deliritus. Consider it a fatherly mercy that I don't have her executed. As it is, the other libraries will be talking behind our backs, speaking of Torchsire's weakness for merely whipping a speaker who struck out at her reader. Deliritus opened his mouth, shut it again, then repeated the process several times. Finally, he seemed to decide his father wasn't going to bend and shifted topic. Well, the trials do begin in two days. I'll need a replacement. Perhaps I could take your influencer in Delight's place? My influencer? The Duke glanced over his shoulder to the man who stood chained behind his chair. He did nothing to acknowledge he was being talked about. Face angled slightly away from the Duke's chair, as if staring off into the distance. Stop runes were well and good, but in a world where the spoken word is power, silence is slavery, and speakers learned from an early age to hold their tongues or else lose them. Absolutely not, the Duke said. I've multiple meetings with representatives from Fortune over the next several weeks regarding our latest trade agreements. And you've seen the sorts of damage Hellar Xavier can exact with his speakers. No, I certainly won't risk you taking my most valuable speaker into the trials. Baz barely suppressed a laugh. It would be the Duke's own son on the receiving end of Hellar's damage once the trials began, yet the Duke's prime concern was keeping his property intact. Well, Deliritus said, drawing himself up a little taller, perhaps I could take your no, the duke went on, raising a hand to silence Deliritus again. I'll need my other speakers as well. It would be shameful to present myself for negotiations with those swindlers from fortune with fewer than three. How could we possibly hope to win the triumvirate Congress chairmanship away from Farston Liamina if such an embarrassment reached his ears? The man's a prig, but also an opportunist. Appearances matter, Deliritus. Must I always remind you of that? Deliritus's lips thinned, but otherwise he weathered the continued insults far better than Baz would have. Well, no, father, not at all. I'm rather fond of appearances myself. But if you intend to keep all your speakers here, and Delida won't be able to stand, much less travel, after you whip her, that doesn't leave me much in the way of options. Baz's mouth went dry as the Duke's plan dawned on him. You'll just have to take your own destroyer. You had nearly ten years to train him, ever since you took it upon yourself to ruin the best speaker this library has had since the burning. I know it will be a shift in your strategy, going from a creator to a destroyer, but you'll manage. You mean, Deliritus said, seeming for a moment unable to form coherent sentences, take Bastion with me on the trials? Baz was suddenly so lightheaded he nearly stumbled into rocks before catching himself. The harbor glanced at him and gave him an indecipherable grunt. Bastion? Oh, yes. That's what you call the destroyer. 
What have I told you about naming them? Creates needless attachment. What about Yeltax? You named him? That, the Duke said, eyes narrowing and voice growing cold, was different. Deliritus dropped his eyes from the Duke's glare. Well, I'd hardly say I'm attached to Bastion, Deliritus muttered. Then, in a slightly louder, pleading tone, said, I'm not sure he's quite ready for something like the trials. Couldn't you stay Delilah's whipping until after I return? Not ready, Bass thought. Deliritus had used him for a speaking exactly one time in the past month, and only a handful times more than that in the past year. A reader and speaker generally prepared for months prior to the trials. Hellar Xavier had likely been preparing for years. Not ready. Baz would surely have had an outburst if he hadn't been stuck right in the middle of laughing and breaking down into tears. Not ready, the Duke said. Oh, don't be dramatic, Deliritus. You've only two speakers, and I've had you handle nearly all the supplicants' requests since you turned twenty. It will be fine. But, Father, Deliritus said, lowering his voice and speaking through his teeth, though the whole room could still plainly hear him. He saw what I did to his brother, and he's a destroyer. What if he... well, you know. The Duke waved a hand at Deliritus. He was just a lad when that happened. I doubt he even remembers. It will be fine. The Duke smiled, but when Deliritus didn't immediately agree with him, the smile evaporated and he said in a much colder tone, It must be fine, Deliritus. Our library needs a good showing in the trials. We haven't even brought a book back since I won my year. Your uncle came back empty-handed. Your aunt didn't even make it to Tome. You're expected to bring back a new spoken book that's at least as useful as the one I found. We can't have an heir to the Torchsire Library who lost his trials. Understood? Deliritus stared at the Duke for some time. Finally, he said, I understand perfectly, Father. May I go now? I have some preparations to make. Certainly. Please do. Deliritus bowed, turned, and strode away. When he reached Baz, he said, I guess you'd better get ready to accompany me to Tome. Baz felt as horrified as Deliritus sounded. Chapter 6 Deliritus's tongue slipped on a sharp syllable, and he faltered for a moment, though he recovered well enough that it might have saved the spell had he actually been reading it for Baz to repeat. They were in the speaking room, selecting the volumes they'd be taking on the trials. Deliritus's uncle had joined them, and he was reviewing pronunciations with the Torchsire heir. Both Rox and Salastair's Harbor were standing close to Baz, ensuring he didn't try to cast any of the spells Deliritus was reading. Baz was leaning against the wall with his head back and eyes closed, trying to think of some way he could get out of this mess. Not bad, Salastar gruffed as Deliritus completed the spell he'd been reading. Your diction's improved significantly. Deliritus nodded, not looking particularly pleased. Improved, maybe, uncle, but I'd been doing nothing but practicing creation for months. Deliritus cast a sour look at Baz, as if Delida's sudden unavailability was his fault. It was as if Deliritus had already forgotten that he'd have had a dagger sticking from his chest if it hadn't been for Baz. Deliritus nodded, not looking particularly pleased. Improved, maybe, uncle. 
but I'd have been doing nothing but practicing creation for months. Delirtus cast a sour look at Baz, as if Delida's sudden unavailability was his fault. It was as if Delirtus had already forgotten that he'd have had a dagger sticking from his chest if it hadn't been for Baz. Huh, <laughs> Salister said. Well, my advice for the trials would be to get away from that Xavier boy as fast as you can. Probably best to just avoid Tome entirely. I've seen him in duels, and I'm not sure there's a better reader in erstwhile. His harbor's a piece of work, too. You'll be dead if you stay around him for long. Well, keep that in mind, Uncle, but I'm not sure Father would appreciate me not even trying to reach Tome and retrieve a book. Salister shrugged. Maybe, boy, but it's better to be alive and have an angry father than dead and a pleased one. Baz perked up a moment. Now there was an idea. If they simply hid in the countryside for a couple months, avoid the danger of the trials completely? Perhaps, Delirtus said, sounding entirely unconvinced. Baz's flash of hope faded as quickly as it had come. But you know how it's been, Uncle. For a while, when I was younger, things were looking up. After all those years of struggle following Father's accident, we'd finally begun bringing in funds once more. But over the past decade... Delirtus shrugged. The library needs me to perform well at the trials, I think. Best to just face the facts, lad. You're outclassed. Better to be around to take over for your father once he's dead than die out in the wilds. Baz couldn't have agreed more. He leaned his head back against the wall, shutting his eyes. I think we're done here, Uncle, Delirtus said. Thank you for your assistance. Celestere looked as if he was going to say more, but then simply nodded and left without another word. Not even a good luck, nephew. His harbor followed after him. "'What do you think of that spell I just read, Bastion?' Delirtus asked after his uncle had left. "'Think we can handle it, my good chap?' "'Eh,' Baz replied without opening his eyes. Delirtus knew full well it would take them weeks to get comfortable with a spell of the length he'd just read. "'Come now, young Bastion. What do you have to be down about? It's me who ought to be sulking. How about water spells? How do you feel about that element?' Baz opened his eyes, though he was careful not to even look in the direction of the book Deliritus indicated. A speaker who looked at a book might start getting ideas, or so the readers seemed to think. It was difficult to entirely avoid them, though, as Deliritus had nearly every destructive book the library owned stacked on the speaking room's podium, ones that drew on each of the five elements, fire, earth, water, light, and shadow. In theory, there was no limit to the number of books one could bring on the trials, but there was only so much one could carry, even with horses, and then there was the consideration of how many books one wished to risk out in the wilds. The duke had limited Teliritus to only seven, an entirely arbitrary number so far as Baz could make out. Deliritus had been trying to get Baz to participate in the decision-making process even before his uncle had arrived, but Baz was having none of it. He slumped back against the wall, arms crossed. The room was cold as always, but entering it always sent a chill down Baz's spine that had nothing to do with the temperature. He didn't care what anyone said. It wasn't his imagination that he could still hear the echoes of Tax's cries of pain reverberating off the room's rafters. Deliritus prattled on. I overheard Hellar the other day saying he was taking twenty books with him. That's more than double what Father has allotted me, uh, us, 
He grinned sheepishly at Baz. In return, Baz scowled at the space over Deliritus's right shoulder. Glaring right at the reader would have been impudent, but scowling at empty air wasn't prohibited. Petulant, probably, but not prohibited. Deliritus cleared his throat. Yes, well, anyway. The point is, I've got a lot on my lectern, so to speak, but you don't see me moping, do you? No time for a thing like that. If they take your legs, keep crawling. Eh, rocks? See, I'm learning. That sounds like something an enigma would say. The words mean what they mean, Rox agreed. Now that Deliritus was no longer reading, the harbor had moved to stand by the door, looking out into the hallway, likely keeping an eye out for another supplicant to threaten with his razor, like that lady with the chicks all those years ago. That they do, my massive confederate, replied Deliritus. So what do you say, Bastion? I know you've a proclivity for fire, so we'll take a couple of those. Deliritus had already stacked several tomes of red-tinted leather on the lectern, and one of the books on general disease calling. Who knows what nastiness we'll find out in the wilds? You ought to know, Baz thought. He very much doubted Hellar was leaving to guesswork what sort of dangers he might face on the trials. Likely, he had a whole team writing research reports for him on every possible sickness one could contract, and the books needed to counteract them. That leaves us with three more, given Father's quota of seven. How do you feel about earth power, Bastion? Could be handy if we run into a worm. Use earth to suppress its fire. For that matter, I suppose water spells would be handy as well. There's always the chance of encountering a fire breather, too. Hmm, and let's see... Deliritus turned his back and rummaged through the shelves, coughing on some dust. We've this tome of elemental light spells. The leather cover was cracked, and a small piece actually came off in Deliritus's hand as he tried to open it. He eyed it with chagrin, then set it aside. Well, perhaps not that one. I've always found light to be more useful for creation, anyway. It's Delida's favorite element, in fact. Did you know... Baz increased the strength of his glare over Deliritus's shoulder. Well, perhaps it doesn't matter whether you knew that. He rebusied himself thumbing through the volumes of spoken books on the speaking room's shelf. His hand stopped on one, shying back as if it might bite him. After a moment, he plucked it out, holding it away from himself at arm's length. The book's leather cover was unnaturally black, almost like it was a hole slashed into the airspace it occupied. Even Baz had a hard time not looking at it, though it hurt his eyes to do so. Whenever he didn't stare directly at it, he'd have sworn it glowed an iridescent violet around the edges, though whenever he tried to focus on it, the glow wasn't there. Put that away before you hurt yourself, Master Deliritus, Baz said still trying to eye the book from the corner of his eye, while simultaneously trying to look at it directly to see if the glow was truly there. Speaking spells of destruction from a book of shadow will turn both our tongues blacker than that tome. Hmm, Deliritus said. Perhaps you're right. But I've seen Marla Colnar do some pretty incredible things with shadow. Just a word or two and I've seen her vaporize rats to dust. Deliritus set the book aside with care, staring at it thoughtfully before shaking his head and looking back to Baz. Everyone seems so focused on Hellar, but I don't know. I mean, I know he's good. Great, even. But he's not a brute. Readers aren't supposed to harm other readers in the trials. I think he'll abide by that. Marla, on the other hand.
Baz gave a noncommittal sniff in reply. There were no rules about killing another reader's speaker during the trials, so he cared little for how safe Deliritus felt. If either Hellar or Marla saw an opportunity to rid Deliritus of the advantage of having a speaker to aid him, they'd do it without thinking twice. Bloody burning books! How is Baz going to get out of this? So what do you say, Bastion? Should we take the earth or water books with us? Baz squeezed his hands into fists. I don't know, Master Deliritus. Probably we should take the tomes with which your speaker has more practice. With which element did you more recently have me perform a speaking? Deliritus grimaced and looked back down to the books he'd stacked on the lectern. Bastion, you know I've my reasons for using you sparingly. Nothing against you, chap. An untrusted speaker is a mute one, Baz muttered, and a mute speaker is a useless one. Ah, the words mean what? Quiet rocks, Deliritus said. It's not that I don't trust you, Bastion. If anything, I trust too much. I don't have any siblings myself, but I remember seeing my mother... Well, another thing we don't need to speak of. But I know the relationship you had with poor old Yeltax, and you were here when I did, well, what I did. I did the best I could, you know, after Father gave you to me. Lots of readers would have killed you, you know, rather than go through the trouble of worrying over whether you might fry them each time you were read to. And I'm not certain I could entirely blame you for such a reaction. Don't you see? It was really the best for both of us, old chum, right? You not tempted to turn spells on me, and we both get to keep pumping the old air in and out? Yes, Baz said, still looking over Deliritus's shoulder. Very kind of a reader not to murder a kid for being upset over watching what you did to his brother. Bastion, Deliritus said, brows falling. Would you stop that over-the-shoulder talk and look at me? You know, I'm not stupid. If I wanted to punish you for insubordination, I could, whether you speak directly to me or not. <laughs> Baz laughed and turned his eyes to meet Deliritus's own. I know you could punish me, master. He said the word like a curse. Let me ask you something. What do you think Hellar would call a reader who failed to give one of his two speakers any training at all, then had just two days to prepare him for the most important moment of his life? That was going too far, and Baz knew it. But blast it! Deliritus really was an idiot. Deliritus pounded a fist on the lectern. That's quite enough, speaker. I ought to have Rox teach you a lesson. Baz heard the leather of Rox's mask creak as the massive buffoon looked over his shoulder. My oath only requires me to act when your safety is in... Oh, shove off, Rox, Deliritus whined. The large man shrugged and turned back to watching the hall. I think I can finish up here on my own, Bastion. Why don't you go and get those supplies you were supposed to get this morning? And no dallying this time. Dallying? It had been Deliritus's foolish pride in public appearances that had diverted Baz from getting the supplies earlier. He thought of a few other nasty remarks, mostly about Deliritus's lack of mental acuity, but he bit them back and left the speaking room without another word. He stopped a moment at the doorway, Rox's bulk blocking his way, but the massive man shuffled to one side without a word to let him by. Baz stormed out. Hello friends, 
Welcome back to D.D. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I feel like I need to come up with a name for all of my listeners out there. Uh, I'll think about that. Anyone uh, anyone has any ideas, uh, shoot me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com. Uh, all right, so we just finished reading chapters 5 and 6, um, and we'll launch into our analysis there in just a minute. Just a couple quick updates for me here. Uh, first, I finally got my physical copy of my book. Here it is for all you watching on the YouTubes, The Actus Trials by D.T. Kane. Reading books can get you killed. Uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting to see your own book uh, in print. This is the second time in my life so far I've seen that. Um, and I'm enjoying it so far. Um, in fact, I'm using this one a lot more than I used of my first novel, because I'm using this to help prepare for the podcast. I'm actually reading through it and highlighting important things that I think I want <clears throat> to go over. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, let's see. Um, Editing-wise, I'm about halfway through my handwritten written edits to part three of The Spoken Books Uprising, which is uh, Declaimer's Flight for those of you keeping score at home. And uh, I'm starting to stew over uh, the plot for part four as well. I'll be working on that starting in... Uh, I've got my sticky notes over on my monitor here. Uh, February 25th, which I think is a Friday, right? Friday? Yes. So I'll be starting my outline in earnest for that uh, in a couple weeks once I'm done uh, doing my hand edits of part three and get those entered into the computer. Um, I do have a very, I've got a very rough outline for the whole series right now. Um, I think I've mentioned before, I have it, have it sketched out for 12, 12 stories. Like I said, I, right now I think it's 12 books, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think it'll be more than 12 books. Could be less. Well, we'll have to see. Um, but a lot of that is like, it's like one or two paragraphs describing, especially some of the later books. Um, and usually as I'm drafting, uh, whatever book I'm drafting, I will, uh, as I come up with ideas, I'll just jot them down or type them down. <laughs> uh, so I just have like this flow of consciousness kind of big block of text of ideas for the next book. And I sit down with that and separate it out and then try to put it into a logical story structure <laughs> if you will <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> um so that's what i'll be doing with part four here in a couple weeks but us here in the book club we've got a ways to go before we uh before we get there so uh let's see i'm also working on a short story i think set in, set in narration that i'm gonna give away to all of you out there uh for free once it's written so um i've got some i'm kicking around some ideas for that but if if anyone has any ideas for that, let me know too, and maybe I'll maybe I'll work some of those in that I get from the listeners out there. Uh, and just a quick note, unrelated to my writing, I'm planning a trip to Chicago in a few weeks. Looking forward to that. My wife and I really like traveling, but uh, the pandemic's made that a little difficult uh, lately. But um, there's a conference for my day job out in Chicago in a few weeks, um, and my wife happens to have. Uh, some time off from her job, so we're going to jet out there for uh, about five or six days. So if anyone has any favorite uh, restaurants or things to do in Chicago, uh, drop them in the comments or shoot me an email. Uh, would love to uh, 
love to get some additional ideas for our trip. Um, and finally, I think uh, I'm going to start doing this in my email newsletter each week, which you can sign up for over at dtkane.com if uh, if you're interested. Just a one email a week. Uh, I'm not going to spam you or anything. And my goal is always to try to give you something uh, that's uh, of value to you and also free in those newsletters. So I'm not going to be just trying to sell you my books every week if you sign up for the newsletter. Uh, but I think I'm going to start sharing what I am personally reading each week too i thought maybe you'd find that interesting or maybe just when i start new books but uh let's see usually i read a uh, audio book and a physical book uh concurrently so depending on where i am i have always have something to read slash listen to so for reading right now i am reading stephen brust's uh vlad taltos the first three books there uh the first three books are in a volume called the book of uh, Zureg, that's how that's pronounced there for you, for those of you uh, watching on the YouTubes. I don't know if that's really, the camera's really focusing on that, but uh, Zureg, J-H-E-R-E-G. Uh, very entertaining series. Uh, some uh, nice sarcastic wit from the main character in here who is, uh, he's like an assassin who also knows magic. Um, I like it, and this little guy here on the front, this little dragon-looking guy uh, is... Uh, is the main character's pet, and they can communicate psychically with one another. So uh, it's fun. Uh, the books are pretty short. Like I said, this is like a 400-page book, and it's actually uh, 430 pages. Uh, and it's the first three books uh, in the series. And they're they're kind of standalones. I mean, they, they each story references other stories, but um, uh, it's it, it's much more like uh, episodic than, uh, than a serial. Uh, and then I am listening to The Silence of the Lambs right now. Not really fantasy, um, but that's narrated by Frank Muller. If anyone's familiar with him as an audiobook narrator, he uh, he narrated the first, I think, the first four of Stephen King's Dark Tower novels, and he's just a, uh, he's just a great narrator. Was a great narrator, unfortunately. He, <clears throat> he, he passed away after a, a motorcycle accident some years ago. Um, but really anything that, in fact, I'm pretty sure he passed away. I know he had a bad motorcycle accident, uh, many years ago, so please don't, uh, quote me on that. I will, uh, I'll look that up and clarify in the show notes if he is, in fact, <laughs> still alive. So, sorry about that, but, uh, but either way, he is a excellent narrator, and, uh, if you have the opportunity to listen to any books that he narrated, um, I definitely recommend it. Um... <clears throat> Okay, so let's launch into the analysis here of chapters uh, 5 and 6. Obviously, we'll start with chapter 5. Get a quick sip of tea there. Uh, right, so we uh, start off walking back to Torchsire uh, from Xavier Library after Baz saved Deliritus from the from the Cityless, um, and then... <laughs> Deliritus uh, had his little uh, outburst over Delida's voice being ruined, so he's not going to be able to take her with him uh, to the trials. And we uh, <laughs> we learned she promptly slapped him <laughs> after he said that, which uh, he almost certainly deserved. But that's also going to mean trouble for her, right? Because uh, she is a slave, and uh, she hit Deliritus in front of you know like all of these other readers, so they all saw it. So. You know, uh, probably not surprising, but Deliritus isn't uh, the strictest disciplinarian. But, um, you know, 
he's not probably he's probably not gonna be able to get out of uh punishing uh delida when um when she did that in front of everyone and uh his father <laughs> certainly isn't gonna let her off, let her off the hook right um on the walk back here we also see uh baz brooding right over how deliritus didn't thank him for saving his life uh i like this i like this passage here that baz baz gives us um i'll just read it here to you again we can chat about it for a second not even a simple hey thanks for saving my life bastion or even a lame wisecrack about how that knife had nearly given him a new ear piercing perhaps outright gratitude was more than baz could expect but a joke at least would have been a, a would have been an acknowledgement that if baz wasn't a slave he would have been deserving uh, of thanks you know, showing a little self-awareness here, right, from Baz. You know, he, he, I think he, he's shown here he realizes that maybe Deliritus is constrained uh, by their relative positions in society from outright thanking him. You know, but at the same time, he could do something, right, to show that he's got, you know, some gra- gratitude for <laughs> for still breathing because of Baz. Uh, you know, and even when Deliritus tells Baz to accompany him to the audience with his father, the Duke, it's really only because Deliritus wants to keep up appearances, right? You know, he remember you always got to be seen with a speaker when you're out in public. Um, so, you know, Deliritus still uh, kind of oblivious here to uh, either oblivious or he really is just as bad as the rest of the readers, right? You know, he doesn't care that 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 Baz saved him, uh, but the jury is jury is still out on that for now you know in fact i think deliritus's insensitivity is kind of emphasized by the fact that 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 rocks uh <laughs> kind of uh actually i wrote wrote something wrong here in the script uh but you know rocks gives baz a nod of appreciation appreciation right uh so you know does this mean deliritus is the real monster in the pair uh between him and rocks or or maybe 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 it's not a commentary on deliritus so much as it is uh you know showing us that Rox isn't quite the horror that Baz has kind of made him out to be so far. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to keep, keep reading on here, but, you know, definitely lots of interesting stuff there in the, uh, kind of the opening pages. Right, so we finally get back to Torchsire Library, and the guard at the entrance immediately tells Deliritus that his father wants to see him immediately, uh, in the receiving room, right, which is kind of like the, uh, the audience chamber of the library and the you know they go down there you know baz makes this sarcastic comment about the duke making everyone walk to come see him right and baz you know baz is rolling his eyes at that particularly since you know baz is baz says something like you know the library is not even that big so <laughs> it's stupid I'm like, okay we'll walk 15 seconds to the receiving room it's not even really emphasizing that you uh you know the duke's making you work to come see him uh, but we get there, and the Duke's mounted up on his perch above the rest of the room, uh, right? But uh, I'm, again, I'm going to jump s- just a little out of order here. Uh, we'll get to the Duke in a minute, but first we get a duel, right? So this is cool. Uh, and that, I like this. I like creating little games uh, in my books and kind of coming up with the uh, the rules for them. I've done that uh, I've done that a few times. This is the first time we've seen it um, in the, the Actus Trials here. But so we basically have two teams, right? We've got the speaker, reader, and harbor on each side, and the rules are pretty straightforward. You have to touch the other team's speaker three times before they do it to you, right? And it's broken down into rounds. So, uh, you know, one person scores a touch, then you reset and you go at it again. 
Um, and the, really the only other rule we learn is that speakers can't physically touch the other team's reader, right? You know, as Bass puts it, a speaker wasn't permitted to lay hands on a reader even in duels. Because Bass is like, well, geez, I would just run over there and, you know, slap the reader while he's looking at his book. But uh, that's not allowed. Um, so I'm not going to profess to be a master writer here or anything. But, you know, I'd like to think, uh, you know, at this point I, I've got some basics down. And I think this 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 dueling scene is a good example of the, the old writer's adage, uh, show don't tell, right? Um, I, I don't even think I had it in the original draft, but I realized um, I thought it'd be useful for, for really all of you out there to kind of see how this core trio of reader, speaker, harbor all works together. And uh, there wasn't really a great opportunity earlier on in the novel for you all to see that. So this, kind, this idea of the duel uh, came to me, uh, and I thought that was a good way just to show you the basics of how this works. Um, and I think the the biggest takeaway is just how vulnerable the reader is during this duel, right? You know, they basically just had to stand in place, you know, staring down at their spoken book, which again is like hanging from this, you know, this kind of miniature lectern they have like strapped around their necks on like a harness. Uh, and, you know, that, you really see why they need their harbors, particularly here. Or, you know, you can even... You can even see if, you know, if you're actually, like, going into a war or a battle or something, you know, how vulnerable uh, the readers would be in, in a real battle like that, too, you know. <laughs> back in back when I played World of Warcraft, the readers would have been called the, the you know, the squishy of the party, right? You know, they've got a lot of power, but uh, they're going down quick if someone with a sword gets to them, so. Um, right. And then we also get our first look at a creator, uh, in action here, right? Now, that's the, that's the third type of speaker. We've got the destroyers who are uh, Baz is the destroyer, and then we saw the influencer over in the torture chamber. He was the one that was kind of trying to mind control the city list to get him to answer questions. And then uh, Deliritus's aunt Trivenol is using a creator. And, uh, you know, they they seem to be focused more on defensive types of magic, right? You know, Deliritus's uncle Alistair is, is launching lightning at Trivenol with his destroyer, but her creator is blocking them with, you know, I call it a blinding aura, right? But it's really, it's just a shield, right? <laughs> She's throwing up a shield so the, the lightning bolts don't hit them. You know, and they go back and forth for a while. Everything's pretty much deadlocked. And then, uh, you know, the, the harbors are out there. You know, they're hacking away at each other, but, you know, they're not really getting anywhere. You know, this seems kind of, I think Bass said this is a common formation, right? You know, the, the speaker and the reader are hanging back, casting their long-range spells. And, you know, it seems like the, the kind of like the baseline tactic, well, one of the harbors just tries to get around the other one to get to their, uh, get to their speaker and, or reader here to, uh, to score a point. <clears throat> so, uh, Trimble decides to switch things up a little though, right? And she kind of exploits the weakness, uh, that I just noted and kind of the weakness that Baz noted too. Uh, you know, Alistair's staring down at his books, or at his book, and then she drops hers and just charges him, right? <laughs> and all she's got to do is touch him to score the point. And Alistair, you know, he, he looks up, oh, he's like, oh, crap, you know, she here she comes. He tries to flip to a different page in his book to cast a different spell to stop her, but then uh, Trivino's creator, and we'll, we'll come back to this a little more in a moment, but, you know, the creator causes a bright light, light to flash in his eyes, and it's too late, you know, he's blinded. The harbor can't get to her in time, and you know she hits him with her rapier. Which remember, we're using blunted weapons here. This isn't a—I uh, think Baz calls it a staged match. But you know she hits him with the rapier, and the match is over, right? Uh, apparently, the match had been going on for a while, and this was Trivenol's third point. 
but kind of uh you know who who wins here is really irrelevant now an interesting point here is you know uh Trivenal has her speaker cast a spell to blind Alistair, right? But she lets her speaker speak it from memory. You know, she whispers into the speaker's ear um, and then takes off, and it's, you know, it's not until a little bit later that the speaker actually casts it. Um, you know, Alistair is pretty pissed about this, right? <laughs> he says it's dangerous, but Trivenal is, uh, you know, she's obviously less concerned. Let's see. She says, y- you've never permitted your speaker to memorize a simple spell or two? lighting a candle, soothing a headache. There's no lasting harm she could cause with that bright light, and she knows my harbor would have her head off in a moment if she has a dream of doing me ill. If, if she even has a dream of doing me ill. Yeah, so a couple interesting points here. You know, so there's some apparent disagreement over uh, what's proper, right? Kind of, we have the two competing uh, opinions. Alistair is clearly against permitting a speaker memorizing even the simplest spells, whereas Trivenal doesn't seem nearly so strict about that. You know, so not all readers view the restrictions on speakers exactly the same. Um, you know, and you know, from this we see speakers don't always need to have the spell read to them immediately, right? You know, we we don't get into it much here, but eventually we're going to see that you know, so long as uh, the speaker knows the words and is nearby the spoken book. They can, they can cast the spell. So, kind of, uh, you know, we're getting getting into advanced uh, uh, spoken book reading here now. But you know, kind of different strategies here and different viewpoints amongst the readers over how to how to treat your speakers. Uh, and you can see you can see both sides of it, right? It's you know it can be useful and dangerous. You know, useful because you don't have to pull out these giant books every time you need something simple done, right? You know, like Trivenal says, well, geez, if, if they memorize the spell for lighting a candle, uh, so what? You know, but it is dangerous too, right? Because if a speaker does manage to memorize a spell, uh, they could potentially cast it without having it uh, read to them first. You know, that's that's one of the reasons here that the books are always kept in these, uh, you know, in the speaking rooms locked up. So, uh you know, there isn't just books lying around that speakers potentially read spells out of, or I should say speak spells out of. Um, right. And that also drives home that limitation that we've seen several times already, you know, about speakers uh, not talking unless they're addressed. Right. You know, Baz tells us, Stop runes were well and good, but in a world where the spoken word is power, silence is slavery. And speakers learned from an early age to hold their tongues or else lose them. Uh, right. So the Duke dismisses uh, his brother and sister, and not too politely, right? It doesn't seem to be too much love lost between uh, the Duke and his siblings. You know, but, you know, they also clearly respect his authority, though, right? Because, you know, they make quick exits, even if, uh, you know, they've got sour expressions on their face while they're while they're doing so, but uh, aunt and uncle leave, and then let's take a look at our first description of Duke Octavenal Torchsire. In that chair sat Duke Octavenal Torchsire, third of his name. His red silk jacket likely would have gone a long way to paying for that tower his library was lacking, and the calf-high cordovan boots would be worth at least a few bricks as well. His hands were folded in his lap, though even the dark leather gloves that covered them couldn't entirely conceal their deformity. 
Oh, all right. Uh, let's uh, let's take this week's look behind the curtain here and talk about how I feel about descriptions for uh, for a minute. You know, there. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. The note I wrote here. No, the, descriptions are important. Obviously, I want to be painting this picture for you, but oh, I just find them so boring to write. <laughs> you know, it feels like the story grinds to a halt during descriptions and. You know, sometimes when I'm writing, especially a first draft, I'll literally just drop a note, you know, describe this later, <laughs> and then I'll skip on to something that's more interesting. Uh, almost always, um, my story is, you know, like 10% longer after my second draft as opposed to my first, and that's, I, I am kind of an uh, adder-inner instead of a taker-outer. Uh, there's probably a more eloquent way to say that, but but there you go. Adder, adder-inner, ad-inner, I don't know. Um, I'm definitely that, but it's also because I just, I do leave myself notes like this, you know, <laughs> write this later, basically. So, uh, there you go. I, and I do have, I, I do have kind of a, a philosophy that I do like to allow my readers to use their, their imaginations. So I don't like to bog you down with too much detail unless those details are really, uh, important. You know, I'll give you some vital features uh, of a place or a character, but you can you can fill in the rest. You know, I don't I don't care if you picture octavenal with bushy eyebrows or yellow teeth or or, or manicured nails. Uh, you know, you can you can kind of do what you will with that. I mean, I guess as you know to, and I guess as you get to know him a little better, you know, you know, you'll your pictures of him will probably be a little similar. But I don't I I you know, like I said, I don't I don't care what color. <laughs> <laughs> what, what color, you know, pants you know, think he's wearing or, or anything like that. Though, uh, speaking of clothing, I will say it's not, you know, it's not an accident that my opening description of him focuses mostly on his clothing. Uh, you know, we know his library's poor, right? But he is dressed in fine clothes. You know, Baz, in his, his characteristic way here, points out that for the cost of his clothing, he could probably afford to renovate the library, right? <laughs> so... You know, we've got, you know, I'm setting up a picture of an arrogant man here who, you know, maybe he doesn't have his priorities quite straight, right? And uh, we'll certainly see that, too, with how he uh, treats his son here. Um, we've also got his deformed hands. You know, there's, you know, important feature, right? You know, I don't necessarily care how big or small you think Octavenal's nose is, but it's, uh, you know, the deformed hands. There's an important feature. He's, uh, he's, he's the character with the messed up hands. Uh, now, think back to chapter two. Remember, Deliritus did let slip uh, back with, you know, that old woman with the chicks that his father had an accident sometime back. And, you know, now, you know, pretty good bet here we've seen what it is, right? You know, his hands have kind of been ruined here. Uh, you know, we don't know, you know, what caused that. But, uh, you know, he did imply that it definitely set the library's finances back when it happened. And that's interesting, I, I guess. Uh, because, you know, getting your hands wrecked, sure, I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. Uh, um, yeah, it definitely wasn't pleasant, I'm sure. But uh, it's not like the Duke is a manual laborer here, right? So why did that have such a serious impact on the library's uh, finances? You know, and this is a little uh, little interesting tidbit that I'm just, just planting here, putting the, uh, you know, poking the seed in the dirt here and, and planting it. You know, it's not going to really be important to even this whole book, but uh, tuck that away as we move deeper into the series. Um, right, so uh, Duke Octavenal, you know, he already knows what happened at the questioning of the cityless, right? When Deliritus arrives, 
you know, maybe, and that's another little tidbit about him that's buried in here. You know, we're going down to the next level of analysis with this one. But, you know, the Duke has a great information network, right? I mean, that's what this is showing. Uh, you know, we don't exactly know how quickly Deliritus left Xavier Tower uh, after nearly being killed by the Cityless, but, you know, it couldn't have been that long. And he went straight back to Torchsire. Yet the Duke already knows what happened. In fact, he seemed to have known way. Uh, way in advance because the guard was already waiting there telling Delir to see he had to go to the speaking room. Uh, you know, so, you know, an arrogant man with with priorities not straight, but uh, a resourceful man, too. Uh, that's what we're getting from Octavinal here in these first few pages being introduced to him. Also, he's not a pleasant guy, is he? <laughs> I mean, you know, he doesn't even think to ask if his son's all right, right? You know, he uh, the first thing he does is actually berate him, right? Making the library look bad. Permitting his speaker to have such a lapse in discipline as to strike him in public. It is an outrage. You know, Duke Octavinal, even more interested in appearances than his son, apparently. Um, you know, and, and he also points out here, too, that, you know, Delirtus, it, w- it wasn't a secret that he was sleeping with uh, his, his female speaker, Delida, there, right? You know, criticizing him for being too familiar with his slaves. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. So that cri- the we open with the criticism, and then here, the the bomb the bomb drops. Right. <clears throat> uh, you know, he's gonna have Delida whipped for for insubordination. Um, I guess we're still we're still priming the bomb here. The bomb's about to go off. Uh, but two things from this whipping, you know. First, he he considers twenty lashes a fatherly mercy, right? You know, and I, you know, I hope no one, hope no one out there has ever uh, experienced any lashes. But twenty lashes, uh, I'm not sure that's merciful under any definition um, of the word. Um, you know, and father is lamenting how uh, how bad he thinks it's going to make Torchsire look in front of the other libraries. He he'd rather just kill Delida, right? Um, but uh, you know, maybe. You know, fatherly mercy, or you know, maybe two. You know, we can't. Torchsire can't really afford to kill any of any more of its speakers. They don't got enough money to replace them with. Um, you know, but Delida was supposed to go on the trials with Deliritus, right? And you know, she's not going to be able to go if she's recovering from a whipping. Uh, so who is going to go with him? You know, so Deliritus' first reaction is, well, bar- father, let me borrow one of one of your speakers if you're going to do this to Delida. Um, and that's, uh, that's something I skipped over, actually, right? We get the description of Octavino, but we also got the description of his two speakers, right? You know, and, uh, there's, talking about me focusing just on the significant details here, right? But, you know, the significant detail from them is, you know, they, they both have their eyes missing, right? Their eyes have been ripped out. They've got just the cloth bandages around, uh, uh around their heads, and, you know, again, thinking back to Chapter 2, again, I feel like I referenced Chapter 2 in every every analysis of the podcast so far. And it is because, like I told you, you know, I, I was setting a lot of stuff up there. Um, but you remember that bad joke Delirid has told back in Chapter 2 about permitting tax to keep his eyes? Well, now, now we see, uh, you know, up close and personal why that was just such a bad joke. Because apparently some readers really do just remove their speaker's eyes. Because you know, if you if you can't see, uh, you can't read. There's no there's no braille in oration. If uh, if you're blind, you're not you're not reading the spoken books. Um, and but of course, Octavinal isn't, Octavinal isn't interested in permitting Deliritus to borrow any of his speakers, right? You know, and 
you know, again, we see uh, yeah, clearly making his priorities uh, clear here, and Galeritus does not really seem to be one of them. Uh, Octavinal says, I'll need my speakers as well. It would be shameful to present myself for negotiations with those swindlers from fortune with fewer than three. How could we possibly hope to win the triumvirate Congress chairmanship away from Farston Liamina if such an embarrassment reached his ears? The man's a prig, but also an opportunist. Appearances matter, Deliritus. Must I always remind you of that? Uh, and he makes this offhand remark, too, that that Baz, you know, Baz takes the Duke to task for, obviously not aloud, but in his head. You know, the Duke cites, uh, you know, haven't you seen the damage Hellar Xavier <laughs> can exact with his speakers? And he gives that as another reason why he doesn't want Deliritus to take one of his speakers on the trials. You know, and of course, Baz uh, thinks in his head, well, Deliritus is, is, is going to be the one competing against Hellar, and he's going to be on the receiving end of that damage. But you know, the Duke's not concerned about his son being on the receiving end of Hellar's damage. It's, uh, he's concerned about his, his uh, speakers being, uh, being ruined by Hellar. Um, okay, so now, now we get to the bomb, right? I kind of, uh, I jumped the gun a little a minute ago. But now, okay, now the bomb goes off. So who does this leave, right? You know, Deliritus, Deliritus only has two speakers, right? He's got Delida and, uh, and Baz. And uh, his father's not going to let him take any of his speakers. Uh, so Baz, right? <laughs> we're left, we're left with Baz, and I know this this probably isn't coming as much as a surprise to to many of you out there. You know, I, you know, I haven't, I didn't say this last week, but it kind of says on the back cover a blurb, right, that Baz is selected to go on the trials with his master. So, uh, not <laughs> not too much of a surprise there. But now we are we are really propelled into the story here. Now we see where this is going. You know, Baz is going to get ripped out of his ordinary life here into, uh, well, into an adventure, right? This this is the part of the story where the protagonist would usually start their adventure, but, you know, uh, I'm using that term loosely here for Baz, because obviously he is not excited about this. In fact, he's kind of horrified. <laughs> he is uh, unprepared uh, in the extreme, it would seem. He notes that reader-speaker pairs usually spend months training for the trials, and, uh, you know, whereas we've got Deliritus here who doesn't even use Baz to, to do any speaking so he can help it. Um, you know, and Deliritus actually pretty much confirms Liana's earlier hypothesis, right, about why he doesn't use Baz. You know, he thinks Baz is worried about seeking revenge, just like Liana said. You know, but father, he saw what I did to his brother, and he's a destroyer. What if he, well, you know, you know, <laughs> of course, uh, his father clearly not too uh, concerned about that, you know, just more evidence of how out of tune he is with the son. You know, he's like, you know, Deliritus, you've had him for 10 years. Of course, of course he's ready. I've been letting you do the supplicants for, you know, since you were 20. Uh, so th that's for three years, right? Because we know Deliritus was 13 in uh, chapters one and two, and now we're 10 years later. Uh, but, you know, the Duke is, seems oblivious to how little Deliritus actually uses Baz. So obviously the Duke's not paying terribly close attention to what his... Uh, you know what his son is uh, doing, you know, or or is he so oblivious? You know, I guess I guess we could also interpret this as the Duke purposefully setting his son up to fail. You know, maybe. Um, you know, Baz noted back in chapter two. You know, Deliritus really isn't the heir by choice, right? You know, he's the Duke's only kid. You know, maybe the Duke actually wants Deliritus to fail so he can pick another heir. 
Um, you know, we see at the end of the chapter, chapter uh, you know, the Duke is just like loading on the pressure on Deliritus, right? You know, to, uh, to bring back a book, right? You know, no one from our family's brought one back since I won the trials in my year, Octavinal says. So lumping on, you know, you got to live up to my, uh, my you, know, you know, you got to live up to my example. And you know, we can't have an heir who lost his trials, Deliritus. Um, you know, you know, is, is this sincere pressure? Or is the Duke just trying to bury Deliritus under expectations? You know, and I do wonder here, I'm interested to hear uh, what you guys think. Uh, we starting to feel maybe the slightest bit of empathy for Deliritus now? Um, you know, maybe, right? <laughs> you know, clearly his father doesn't really treat him that fairly, but, uh, you know, shoot me an email or leave me a comment. How are you, how are you feeling about Deliritus? now after after reading this chapter you know and before we move over to chapter six here just one one final interesting note um you know we see octavinal wasn't too pleased when deliritus uh you know as he puts it ruined the best speaker this library has had since the burning now you know he doesn't come right out and say it but this is an obvious reference to baz's brother right and uh you know we actually see that maybe the duke had a bit of a soft spot for baz's brother or you know if not a if not a soft spot, you know, you know, he at least valued him for uh, the great services he was able to provide. You know, the Duke makes us note he's against naming speakers, right? It creates needless attachment, he says. But then Delirious is like, well, you named Yeltax, didn't you, Dad? And Duke gets a bit, a little touchy there, right? You know, that was different. Um, you know, we know Baz's brother was a rare breed of speaker, right? He was all three. He was a destroyer, creator and influencer all in one um you know but was there more to it besides the duke just you know seeing you know seeing his 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 prize vase uh or sculpture you know crushed crushed by deliritus uh you know we don't know but but stay tuned obviously obviously duke valued uh, valued baz's brother uh enough to give him a name when he doesn't really think speakers should have them in general all right so that is chapter five and uh let's hop over to chapter six now right onward chapter six so we start uh off uh we're back in the speaking room now where chapters one and two took place and uh you know baz reminds us of that noting he hates going in there because he always hears his brother's cries of pain when he does so not a not a happy place for Baz to go, you know, particularly now where he is still, uh, you know, lamenting. You know, he's kind of in shock over what he just learned that he's going on the trials here now. Um, chapter opens, Deliritus is practicing, practicing reading a spell with his uncle, right? Uh, which is this, this is the same uncle we saw in the last chapter who lost the duel, uh, Salister. You know, and it seems, uh, you know, Deliritus has improved his reading here a little, right? You know, that's kind of why I put this in here. You know, you know, he was he was really bungling around, right, ten years ago in those scenes in part one. Uh, you know, but you know, he's doing better here now. Uncle even congratulates him. Uh and you know, after that, you know, maybe this is the first time we've seen a bit of maturity out of Deliritus, because he's not particularly pleased with this reading, right? You know, even you know, his uncle compliments him, but it's not like he's getting all happy about about a compliment. You know, he admits, you know, I've only been practicing creation spells lately because he was going to be taking his creator to the trials. You know, basically kind of admitting he isn't really prepared for the trials. Um, so, 
interesting. Someone who's just, you know, totally arrogant or aloof, maybe probably wouldn't say something like that. So, again, maybe Deliritus is, uh, you know, slowly paying off his, uh, <laughs> his debt of terrible things here that we've seen him, uh, seen him do uh, to this point. Obviously, he still has got a long way to go. But, uh, you know, and how does, uh, you know, how does his uncle respond to Deliritus kind of saying he's not really ready? You know, no comforting words, right? Basically, he tells Deliritus to go and hide somewhere, <laughs> you know, stay away from the other speakers, particularly that Hellar Xavier, his uncle tells him. You know, and he says, you know, basically tells Deliritus Hellar is the best reader in erstwhile. Um, and Baz, Baz loves this plan, right? Okay, let's just hide in the countryside for a couple months. No, we'll just avoid the danger entirely. Um, but now we've we got a bit of a reversal here in this scene from the torture same the torture chamber back in chapter four. It's actually Deliritus now who's showing a little bit of courage, or you know, it, it, maybe courage is too strong a word, but he's at least commitment to to duty or you know to his house here, right? You know, the library's been struggling for the past decade, and he gets, you know, he gets it. Whether his father is pressuring him uh, for good or ill reasons, you know, Deliritus, you know, understands a good showing in the trials would be great for Torchsire Library. Um, and, I, you know, I can't, I can't remember this is, if I've actually referenced this in, in the book yet, but, you know, it's on the back cover, and we're going to learn this, you know, pretty soon if we haven't already, but since speakers can't read, you know, they can't write either, right? Um, so new spoken books are not being made anymore. So, um, you know, so finding a new one is a big deal. So competing in the trials and bringing back a book, uh, you know, like I said in the back coverage, that's a big prize for uh, for a aspiring young reader here. So, again, Deliritus grasps the importance of this uh, this journey he's about to go on. Um, Uncle Celestere, though, being <laughs> the encouraging relative, you know, Deliritus, you are just outclassed. You'd be better off playing it safe than dying out there. Uh, and then he kind of just leaves. You know, well, Deliritus kind of says, we're done here, Uncle. And, you know, Uncle doesn't apologize or say good luck or anything. He just leaves, you know. And, you know, like I've been saying, Deliritus, you know, given us zero reason to sympathize with him so far. But now we've got, you know, Dad treating him bad in the last chapter. Uncle, you know, really... Um, I guess Uncle's kind of trying to keep him alive at least, right? But still not really treating him that great. Certainly telling him, you know, well, you're not good as Hellar Xavier. You don't even, you shouldn't even be trying. Um, you know, and, you know, now we see, you know, Deliritus also points out too, you know, well, he's already competing against Hellar, who is considered like the best, uh, you know, the best reader apparently in the city. And then we've got Marla too, who is this, this, you know, crazy girl who likes watching people get tortured. Um, you know, and Deliritus seems pretty scared of her, just like Baz was. Um, so, you know, he's got a, he's got a lot heap being heaped on him here. Um, so again, you know, let me know how, how are you feeling about Deliritus now after these two chapters? Um, great. So uncle's gone now and finally Deliritus and Baz start interacting, which this is really, you know, we saw them bickering in the torture chamber a little, but this is kind of the first like, you know, real, uh, conversation <clears throat> we see between them. Or at least Deliritus is trying to have a conversation, right? But uh, Baz isn't interested. He's slouching over there against the wall, you know. Kind of, you know, he's a, he's kind of distraught, right? And like I said at the beginning of my analysis of this chapter, he's he's kind of in shock. Uh, he's <laughs> about accompanying Deliritus on these trials here, uh, and we do learn another reason for that. 
Um, you know, we already know the trials are dangerous. You're out in the wild. Baz mentioned earlier it's not uncommon for competitors to die during them. Um, we also learned, though, that there's a rule that the readers aren't supposed to harm other readers, right? So there is kind of, you know, you know it, it seems like there's probably few rules out here on the trials, and we'll get into some of the other rules here in a few chapters. But, you know, readers aren't supposed to attack other readers, but there's no rule against hurting another reader's speaker. Um, so it's possible Baz is going to become a target of Xavier, uh, you know, Hellar Xavier or, uh, or Marla here once the trials start. You know, if they can put Deliritus at a disadvantage and uh, kill off his speaker, um, you know, we see how important it is for someone to win these trials. So um, that seems a distinct possibility. So just another reason why Baz is so upset here. Um, you know, so things really are looking dire here. Deliritus is unprepared. Um, you know, even if he's being treated unfairly, uh, we, we saw how he reacted to that city list who attacked him, right? You know, so he, he probably, he, he's not the betting favorite here. That seems pretty certain. Um, but even so, he kind of turns out to be the adult in this scene. You know, he's trying to keep his tone bright. You know, Baz, old chap, let's pick out some books together. Um, you know, trying to get Baz to participate, you know, but Baz, you know, he's just like being a little petulant brat here, uh, a bit. Again, you can kind of understand, uh, this is probably like the next worst thing to a death sentence in Baz's mind, um, with how dangerous these trials are going to be. Um, you know, <laughs> but we, he goes through like describing how he glares at Deliritus, you know, we can't look at him directly, but I'm just going to scowl over your shoulder and then, you know, uh, you know, I can get away with that, right? Like, Deliritus doesn't notice this. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously Deliritus does, right? He sees how childish Baz is being. Even, uh, you know, calls him out at the end, for, for at the end of the chapter, threatening to have rocks teach him a lesson. Um, you know, Baz just keeps mouthing off to him. Um, but did you catch something interesting there when at the end of the chapter, uh, you know, Deliritus threatens to have rocks teach Baz a lesson? You know, and this is just uh, making connections here again, back back again to chapter two. Remember Rox, uh, when Deliritus initially told Rox to kill Tax, you know, Rox took, uh, you know, took care to remind Deliritus, you know, his oath is only to protect Deliritus from harm. You know, so there is a limit to how vicious Rox is, right? He had to be harming Deliritus, or threatening him at least, um, before he'll come after you. And, uh, you know, just like it's important to have limits on uh, on the on how powerful magic is, um, having a limit on you know some kind of wrecking ball like rocks is is interesting uh, too. You know, they're just like, well, I'm gonna sick rocks on you, Baz, and rocks kind of like turns around and is like, but but he's not doing you any harm. And then you know, <laughs> Delir just cuts him off. He doesn't want to hear it. But uh, you know, again, rocks just you can't just snap your fingers at rocks and he goes off and kills someone for for no reason at all. So. You know, you might not like you might not like rocks at this point, but he seems to have a code at least, right? Um, again, he's just not murdering murdering on a whim. He's uh, murdering to uh, you know protect Deliritus. Uh All right, just a couple other quick items to touch on here, and then we'll be through with chapter six. This is a kind of a, a shorter chapter here. Uh, that's why I wanted to tack it on to chapter five. I got the two chapters in this week. Uh, we get a bit of a touching kind of almost a soliloquy here from Deliritus, kind of a long block of text, um, you know, in response to Baz's criticism over his failure to ever utilize Baz's ability as a speaker. 
you know, we actually get a little bit of an explanation um, from Deliritus. We see Liana was kind of right about it, but, you know, not entirely. Um, I think I'm going to read that whole paragraph again, because I do think this kind of uh, gives us an important glimpse into Deliritus here. So uh, here we go. This is uh, Deliritus responding to, to Baz. It's not that I don't trust you, Bastion. If anything, I trust you too much. I don't have any siblings myself, but I remember seeing my mother. Well, another thing we don't need to speak of. But I know the relationship you and you had with poor old Yeltax, and you were here when I did, well, what I did. I did the best I could, you know, after Father gave you to me. Lots of readers would have killed you, you know, rather than go through the trouble of worrying over whether you might fry them each time you were read to. And I'm not certain I could entirely blame you for such a reaction. Don't you see? It, it was really the best for both of us, old chum, right? You not tempted to turn spells on me, and we both get to keep pumping the old air in and out? You know, Baz, <laughs> Baz of course, responds, uh, uh, he is not, uh, he's not sympathizing with Deliritus, right? I don't know if anyone out there, any of you listeners out there are, but Baz certainly is not. You know, a very kind of a reader not to murder a kid for being upset over watching what you did to his brother. Uh, and kind of a tough one here. I mean, I think maybe they're both making some, some valid points, at least in the context of this world. Uh, you know, Deliritus does seem to have some genuine remorse over what he did to Tax. Um, you know, but Baz is kind of right here, too. You know, Deliritus, Deliritus shouldn't be clapping himself on the shoulder for showing mercy to a little kid who just had his brother taken from him. Um, you know, and I like doing that. I think I do a decent job of that. I like to raise difficult questions, get you thinking um, a little. Again, you know, Deliritus is kind of a product of his environment here, uh, right? So you do got to look at this in the context of the story. You know, you've seen how some of these other readers are, and clearly they're worse than Deliritus. Um, so, you know, he did to tax what he thought was right, given what the laws of this world are, and then, you know, it's like he said, well, you know, lots of other readers probably would have just killed Baz, you know, and Lears is like, look, I, I, I did everything I could to kind of keep you safe here, Baz, and, you know, Baz clearly doesn't see it that way, but, uh, you know, Deliritus, at least in his head, um, you know, thinks he was, you know, doing something, doing something decent. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have an answer. Uh, to that either i'm not necessarily looking to give answers but i like raising the issues and showing you both sides of uh difficult things and then you guys can kind of uh come up with it on your own that's one of the joys of reading right coming up with your your own interpretations both of both just of you know imagining how things look but kind of uh you know also your own interpretation of the meaning uh of certain things i hope i achieve that every now and again here in in my books um, and just one last quick note here, and then we'll be done with chapter six. Uh, we've seen the elements referenced already, uh, but Baz kind of, uh, drives home the five different types, uh, for the first time. So there's five magical elements here. We've got fire, earth, water, light, and shadow. And apparently each spoken book is based off of one of these elements and, you know, they each kind of do different things. You know, and it seems, this is hinted at very vaguely, but, you know, it seems like maybe maybe certain speakers are better with certain elements, because Deliritus is asking Baz, well, how do you figure, how do you feel about earth power, or water power, or, or, or light power? And then he even, he pulls out the shadow book, right, which, and that's apparently dangerous. Baz is like, put that thing away before you hurt yourself, Deliritus. 
Um, you know, and Delirious is like, well, I've seen Marla vaporize rats with shadow spells. So, um, you know, we'll learn a little more about the power of uh, shadow magic here uh, a little later on in the book. But uh, kind of nasty stuff here. And you see Delirious is kind of like, you know, kind of like holding it out like the book might bite him or something. So clearly it's not just Baz who is uh, who's worried about it. Um, you know, mostly this is kind of just like an interesting detail for now, but uh, the different elements do become more and more important uh, the deeper we get into the Spoken Books Uprising series. And all right, that's it. So two more chapters down. Uh, very good. We are chugging along here. Next week we're going to finish up part two of the book uh, by reading chapter seven, which is a decently long chapter. We're going to... Uh, a lot more uh, learn a lot more stuff here so uh, Baz is going to go down to the sub-basement where the Duke's retired speakers live um, and we're going to see Liana again down there see some more interaction between Baz and, and, and Liana we'll see her workshop where she uh, works on restoring spoken books down in the basement of Torchsire Library uh, and then we get a surprise after that and I'm uh, I'm interested to see if uh, how many of you out there were truly surprised by it and uh, whether you think this is a fair surprise or maybe I was hiding the ball a bit too much. You know, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a fair one if you've been paying close attention, but uh, obviously I'm a little biased, so uh, <laughs> let me know what you think. Uh, we're also going to learn some interesting things about singing and tattoos. Um, what do you think the significance of those two things are after you've read chapter seven you know you'll get some good hints here but again no uh no express answers so that's your homework for the week and always uh if you don't do it that is okay because i'll be doing it all for you next week uh all right listener questions uh got one here from uh linda in new york and uh you know linda has been hearing me give my personal updates at the beginning of each episode and, and you know she hears that i have three books uh in the hopper right now this one we're reading and then uh two others in various stages uh, of editing and she's just wondering uh you know how i managed to <laughs> write so many books so quickly uh and uh <laughs> thanks for the question linda and i'm uh, laughing a little not at the question but i am uh, <laughs> a little amused by your characterization of a lot of books is there are some self-published authors out there that, like pump out a book a month uh, so in some circles, I would be considered a rather uh, slow, slow writer here. But uh, but I, I understand by most people's standards, writing three books in a year probably seems impossible. But, um, you know, you just got to have a, uh, a process and a consistent routine. And you really need to break it into small chunks. Uh, sitting down and just thinking I have to write a whole novel, you know, that uh, that's going to feel like an impossible task. It's like like thinking, well, I gotta you know I gotta climb up to the top of a top of Mount Everest in one mile. You know, you get to Everest, you get to the Mount Everest one step at a time. And same thing with writing, you get to you get to a finished novel one uh, one page at a time, or one even one word at a time. Um, you, know, you know, I'm not the not the best at math here, but. Um, let me just type some numbers into the old calculator here. You know, if you write as few as 250 words a day, that's 91,250 words in a year. And that's a good-sized novel. Uh, that's actually almost exactly how long 
um, the Actus Trials <clears throat> is uh, 91,000 words thereabouts. Um, and that comes out to, uh, let's see, how many pages is the print book? Now, I've got it now. I can I can see. It is <laughs> 321 pages. So there you go, 250 words a day. That's like, you know, a couple of paragraphs, really. So, you know, and the consistency is re- is really what matters about it. You know, I, uh, um, you know, I, I'm I'm up, I'm up in my uh, my office writing pretty much every day after work. You know, work ends between five and six most days, and then I make dinner, spend a little time with my wife, and then you know, from like seven to nine, sometimes a little later than nine, <laughs> I am uh, I'm writing away most nights. And, uh, you know, I write more than 250 words, so, you know, triple triple that, even 750 words. Um, you know, there you go, three 90,000-word uh, books in a year, which is, uh, which is what I did back in, in 2021. I wrote, a, <clears throat> I wrote three, three full-length novels. But it's really, like I said, I, I know I, I feel like I've said the word consistency a uh, hundred times here. I'm consistent about saying consistency but uh getting the butt in the chair and writing is important um and i i do find you know you got to find strategies too to keep the uh keep the engine going so sometimes i'll actually like sit down with pen and paper and uh just jot down ideas for a chapter in the morning and then uh when i sit down to write in the evening it's like i've already started the creative process i'm not i don't have to start with the blank page i've got my notes and i'm like okay this is uh this is where the chapter's going i've already got it thought out I've just got to expand on my uh, my bullet points. So I do think, you know, there's pantsers and plotters, right? You know, pantsers, you're writing by the seat of your pants and not thinking things. <clears throat> you're not planning things out ahead of time. It's like, well, I'm just going to sit down and write, and the story will go where it goes. And I know lots of people have great success with that, but I, you know, I don't do that. I sit down. I've got a whole outline. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't have like a 100-page outline that's like as long as the book. You know, but I've got a, I've got an outline of most of the scenes, so I've also I can sit down and see, okay, I'm at this point in the outline, so okay, well that happens, and then between my kind of high level outline and then my uh, handwritten notes that I've jotted down a lot of the time about the chapter, um, you know, I can get going, get going pretty quick, and you know, part of it too is I just I've got you know stories upon stories up here in in in, in the old noggin. Sometimes it's frustrating that I can't get them out. Um, as quickly as I want to and you know the only way to you know the only way they're going to get out is if I sit down and and do the work and I uh, I like this quote you know you're kind of you are what you do every day right you know and I want to be a writer so I've got (laughs) to do my writing every day so so there you go Linda thanks um, for that question sorry I kind of rambled (laughs) rambled there a little bit but uh Again, hopefully, hopefully you guys like hearing that uh, kind of that behind-the-scenes look. Um, all right, so uh, this week's quest. Um, I'd love to hear what do you think the inciting incident of the novel was. Uh, I feel pretty comfortable we've gotten to it um, at this point. I'm actually personally kind of torn uh, between you know was it the cityless attack. Um, or Octavinal's announcement that Deliritus is going to be taking Baz on the trial. So those are kind of the two that I'm torn between. And it's kind of, this is more of an academic exercise, really. I don't think it really matters. You could argue, well, it's all just one big thing, you know. 
the city list attacking Delida leads to Octavinal saying that. But uh, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. What's the inciting incident? Uh, or maybe you could think, yeah, maybe you can make an argument for something else other than those two things. Um, I'm, I'm just interested to hear what people think. So, you know, and for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar with literary terms, you know, the inciting incident, it's the thing that propels you uh, into the story, right? You know, Dorothy getting uh, picked up in the tornado and brought over to Oz. You know, the tornado there is the uh, the inciting incident or, you know, <clears throat> Katniss's sister being picked for the Hunger Games. Uh, there's the inciting incident that propels Katniss into, into the rest of the story, you know, out of your ordinary world and into the story. <clears throat> so uh, this is another one, no right answer to this one, guys, you know send me your thoughts and you'll uh, you'll complete this quest uh, we'll make this one two experience points so I'm curious to hear um, what you guys have to say about that alright and that brings us to our quote of the week as we finish the episode every week this one comes from William Goldman who wrote The Princess Bride when I was your age television was called books I like I like that. I certainly read more books than I watch TV, I think, and I certainly write more than I watch TV, too. You know, going back to our listener question there, you know, I'm not down there watching TV in the evening. I'm up in my office uh, writing away. Uh, so, you know, if you've ever thought about writing a book, you know, how many TV shows do you watch in a year? Uh, you know, could you replace some of that TV watching with some writing? You know, you gotta, you know, gotta, gotta decide what you want, um, and that's not to—I'm not totally criticizing TV either. I, you know, I've, uh, I, you know, I've watched a few TV episodes in the past year, uh, you know, but I pick and, you know, I pick and choose. You know, I, I make sure I really want to watch something. Um, so, you know, keep that binging uh, to a healthy minimum, uh, unless, of course, it's D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club that you're binging. Uh, in that case. I highly approve that choice. Um, so until next time, uh, until your next binge fest here, uh, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. The contestants were Deliritus's Aunt Trivenal. Trivenal? Trivinal? Trivenal, I think. Trivenal. 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 Aunt Trivenal. Yeah. Not ready, the Duke said the duke oh, man, I don't... thanks for listening to dt kane's epic fantasy book club if you liked today's episode please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts if you're watching on youtube give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author, or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.